0: So, Mike, um, you have been a sex therapist for many years, and I want to start off talking about sex and society and our historical relationship with sex. But I just want to start off by asking you, what are society's view on sex? And has this changed dramatically over the course of our history or not?
1: Hi, Antonia. Thank you. Yeah, um, in general, I'd say society's view on sexuality is that it needs to control it. Freud understood this 100 and whatever years ago um, when, he, when he spoke about this, the Eros energy, the life force energy um, as sexuality, which, which the ancient Greeks understood. But the ancient Greeks also understood that um, the Eros energy is, is both wild and exciting and raw and passionate, but also kind of dangerous and a bit scary. And it can be, it can be too much. And um, so part of the job of civilization, Freud said, is to contain that Eros energy. And the government does that through, um, nowadays it does it through legislation in the past. It did it through religion. Um, and at different points in history, sex has been made wrong or bad either cause it's sinful and you'll go to hell. Um, uh, in the middle ages, um, they considered that if the woman was having sex on top of the man, that that was against the natural order of things. And that would be, that would lead to damnation. So <laughs> that was, a, that's a medieval perspective on sex. Um, and then later as science, science started to come in, um, sex got pathologized as mental illness. Um, uh, so uh, the American Psychiatric Association um, uh, made, made up all kinds of disorders like homosexuality that it said were a sociopathic uh, dysfunction, um, which of course now is, is, um, looks completely ridiculous. But back in the 18th and early 19th centuries, it was conceived that uh, masturbation would lead to um, dizziness, epilepsy, um, disorders of the digestion, um, mental illness, and ultimately death. So <laughs> there's, there's been a lot of stigma attached to just expressing sexuality over the, over the centuries. I'm quite thinking. a stigma. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so where have we got to now then?
1: I think we're in this weird place right now with, with sexuality in our culture where it's both more open and in a way, uh, of course, more accessible through pornography and the internet, but also in a way like more controlled. There's in a sense less freedom um, now than we used to have. Um, the government uh, is controlling more things. Again, in the 18th century, prostitution was, was legal and acceptable, whereas um, in many countries it's illegal. Um, and um, the government is increasingly, at least in the UK, increasingly trying to um, crack down on uh, the use of pornography. Um, our previous Prime Minister, David Cameron, said he was very concerned about the amount of anal sex that he saw going on in pornography. That he also passed a law that banned um, the making of certain kinds of pay-per-view pornography. And these included things like uh, fisting, and uh, female ejaculation, squirting, and uh, some BDSM practices, and something called face-sitting, where a woman typically sits on either, usually a man's face, other man or woman, but usually a man. So the interesting thing about these practices is that they're all practices that um, are part of a kind of femdom, female domination scene in sexuality and BDSM. So what I make of that is that you know as as we see the rise of the feminine women are becoming more more conscious of their sexuality they feel more freedom to express it the government is cracking down and saying no you better not get too uh cocky as it were with this um you better you better not do these things and it's and it's discouraging them so it's mm-hmm. it's covertly controlling the way as it always has it's covertly controlling the way we see our sexuality by what's allowed and what isn't allowed mm-hmm.
0: And do you think there should no, be no sort of real rule when it comes to what we're allowed to see, whether it's pornography or magazines or um, you know, consensual images? Do you think that, um, that the government shouldn't be doing anything to control that?
1: I, I think so long as what we're seeing um, and accessing is consensual, then, um, and, and by consensual I mean between one, two or more consenting adults, so I take children and animals out of the picture there, then it's up to the individuals involved. Um, I don't think it's the role of the government to start putting legislation in place to tell us what we can do in the bedroom or what we can watch.
0: Can you tell me a bit more about what you think we're we're taught about sex now that perhaps is misguided?
1: I think part of the problem is we're not taught about sex. We don't have a lot of, uh, inverted commas, sex education at school. We have reproduction education. Mm. And again, one of the ways that the government and the schooling system controls sexuality is by telling us that sexuality is about pregnancy and the risk of disease. And while on the one hand, it's really a good idea to explain to people from a responsible perspective that there is the potential for sexually transmitted infections, Mm -hmm. to make that the focus of sexual education is really missing uh, the whole point about sexuality, which is about freedom of expression it's about pleasure it's about connection it's about intimacy um, and love so as far as i'm aware sex education at least in the uk includes very little information about these fields so i think this is what needs to change we need to move away from this fear-based paradigm of if i have sex um you know someone will get pregnant or someone will get diseased and move towards you know respect understanding connection and pleasure
0: So you think the way that we look at sex now and are taught about sex, well, the lack of being taught about sex is actually very limiting for our own sex lives. How do you feel that it affects uh, young people and indeed adults as they grow up?
1: Part of the problem about having a lack of information about sexuality from a more, let's say, official source, is that people go to what's most readily available as their information resource for sexuality and for most people that's pornography and pornography creates very often a very distorted perspective of what sex is about. First of all, most people accessing pornography are looking at visual pornography. There's of course erotica written literature and all sorts of other ways to explore that. But most people, when we talk about porn, we're talking about visuals, visual stimulation. So part of the problem with that is that it only shows what looks good on camera. So big breasts, big penises, big thrusting movements, um, these kind of things are visually, they're optically apparent, whereas the small, subtle rotations of the pelvis together, which feel really amazing and delicious, they don't look very exciting on TV So on, on porn. So that doesn't get depicted. So it, it, it kind of leads to the idea that intensity is a good thing. And when we go down the route of intensity, we lose sensitivity and we lose a connection and awareness of the subtle sensations that it's possible possible to have in sex, to so just the feeling of genitals touching without actually going inside or without any friction or movement, that can feel absolutely amazing. But that doesn't look very exciting in pornography, so it doesn't get depicted. So most people don't even know that that's an option.
0: That's very interesting. What what about this sort of fear factor that you've talked about as well, how society um, is sort of geared in a way that tells us that, you know, sex can be uh, dangerous or or, or possibly wrong. How does that also subconsciously shape um, the way that we think about sex and our sex lives?
1: I think what it does is it creates a lot of shame and shame is, you know, sadly too often hand in hand with sex uh, in our culture. and it takes away from sex as innocence mm-hmm. because sexual energy is our life force energy. It's our natural aliveness that wants to express itself in this particular kind of a way through connection, through self-love, through love with another, um, through the pursuit of pleasure. All of these things are natural, healthy and beautiful. And they're very innocent, just as you know, a child wants to splash in a puddle or climb a tree or um, explore their own body. It's pure innocence, it's that pure spontaneous aliveness expressing itself.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Problems arise when people from the outside, voices from the outside, authority, Mm -hmm. parents, schools, whoever, Mm -hmm. come in and say, um, you know, that's not allowed, it's dangerous, it's disgusting, you shouldn't touch yourself, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, you know, little girls, you shouldn't take your top off, all these kind of things which lead to shame about the body, shame about our impulses and desires the problems come when our internal our internal impulses are at odds with what we've learned from the outside about what's allowed and that creates internal conflict and hence shame
0: and can you tell me a little bit more what you think our our natural sexual state is you know you 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 paint quite a wonderful picture of you know sex being a lot about innocence and being experimental and 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 um, being very open is there anything else that you'd sort of like to add to that that might be helpful?
1: Let's say that what's really important in, in having really great sex is really being authentically yourself and expressing that in each moment. So not doing anything you don't want to do um, and communicating that clearly communicating, communicating boundaries, of course, is very important. Um, but it's also about just allowing the sensations of pleasure in our body. I mean, ultimately when we relax into our body, we'll start to feel pleasure rippling through our body at all times whenever we choose to connect with it i mean it's always there available for us when we want to when we want to feel that i'm not talking about even touching the genitals i'm just talking about the natural state of aliveness in our body mm. and most people are disconnected about from that they don't even know about that
0: could you tell me a bit more about how Society's views affect both men and women, and whether those challenges are the same or actually very different.
1: Yeah, I think there is a big difference between the way that men and women uh, experience sexuality. I think it's changing in a positive way, as, like I said, more women are getting in touch with their sexuality and realizing their empowerment, um, and also realizing they have the right to say no. The whole Me Too campaign has been enormously powerful in that, I feel. Uh, but there's a much more shame about female sexuality than there is about male sexuality. It's much more inverted commas, natural that boys masturbate. Whereas still for girls, there's a little bit feeling of feeling self-consciousness very often. Um, Where do women, you think
0: that comes from?
1: I think it's, it just arises from this cultural suit that we're all swimming around in that says sex is wrong and dangerous and that, uh, um, and that female sexuality isn't allowed because if a woman is, sexually open then she's labeled branded uh you know as a slut or something derogative whereas if if man is sexually proactive you know he's he's a stud or whatever these are kind of hackneyed archetypes but it's still got some element of truth for people so i think that women have internalized so much of this kind of patriarchal control of their sexuality and and the truth is that women have much more sexual desire than men do in general if it's really allowed. And that's probably why patriarchy, or at least in part, has sought to control it. Uh, because if women really give themselves permission to feel the fullness of their sexuality, um, it's kind of limitless. It's very strong. and It is beautiful. but can be scary for men that feel challenged by that.
0: I suppose one question women might be asking is, you know, has this always been the case for women? Uh, have they always been controlled by men in a sexual manner or, or not?
1: Yes and no. I mean, partly we've had patri- patriarchy for 5,000 years. So that's always been an element of control. But up until the 18th century in the West, it was considered that if you wanted to get a woman pregnant, she needed to have an orgasm at the time. So, um, medical science in the 19th century disproved that idea. So it's interesting that as soon as medical science understood that women didn't need to have an orgasm, the focus for men to be good lovers for women seems to drop off in culture. It makes sense, but unfortunately, it's led to uh, a disempowerment for women and female sexuality. If you read 18th century novels, women are portrayed as much more bawdy and sexually, sexually active. If you read 19th century novels, they're much more prim and, um, and restrained. So it does, it does correspond with a, a change in the way society viewed female sexuality.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, and challenges to men now, what do you think that is? What do you think their challenges are?
1: I think the big challenge for men, increasingly, is around performance. And a lot of that comes from uh, pornography, the images that, that men have in porn, that you know a man's penis must always be erect, um, and that he must be able to you know, ejaculate copiously. Um, and, and it puts a huge amount of pressure that the, the number of erectile dysfunction, not a word that I like to use, but you know, men with erectile problems um, that are reported is growing substantially as is uh, early ejaculation in men, which is also a, typically a performance-related issue. And, and what happens when we watch pornography is that we create a mental image of what we imagine sex is meant to look like, mm-hmm. and that takes us into the mind and out of the body.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when, we, when we're not connected to our body, we can't feel the rhythm and sensations of our system, so we don't know when to go faster, when to slow down, and it creates an idea of... of I've got to make it look a certain way. And if you feel insecure or nervous about that, that creates pressure, which creates anxiety in the nervous system. The anxiety in the nervous system is the absolute antithesis of what you need in order to feel sexual desire and arousal in your body physiologically. Mm -hmm. So that's the pattern that men are spinning into because they think they've got to
0: perform. And the issue with female orgasm is, I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge area. But, but, but would you say the sort of sense of, of guilt that they may feel about pleasure, which we've spoken about, which is something that's sort of, you know, been the case historically, do you think that's a, a major, major um, uh, challenge um, that, that, that stops women from often having an orgasm?
1: I think, I think it's part of it. I think also, you know, increasingly now for the last maybe 20 years, women started to understand that, you know, sex and pleasure and orgasm are allowed and that women can have orgasms too, um, because that was really not the focus of um, mostly of men's attention uh, some years ago. Um, so there's a lack of, lack of knowledge, which is changing, which is a good thing. Um, there is this internalized feeling of, of shame and guilt around, you know, I'm not allowed to have pleasure as a woman And there's something different that happens neurologically in a woman's brain that the amygdala, like uh, the radar for danger in a a person's brain, switches off during orgasm much more in a woman than it does in a man. Mm -hmm. So that means that a woman needs to feel much safer in order to turn her radar for danger off than a man does. Mm -hmm. And so whatever vulnerabilities, insecurities, um, fears that a woman has Are much more likely to play a role in her relationship with orgasm. Um, The emotional side of things is much more prevalent for women than it is for men.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Can we talk a little bit about multiple partners? Because I I, I, certainly I feel you know growing up, um, you know I'm a a woman in my thirties, in her thirties. I think perhaps the same might apply to people in their twenties or you know teenagers now. Um, what has happened historically and what is our natural state in terms of having multiple partners? Because I suppose, you know, we still live in a society where we're perhaps a bit unclear as to whether it's OK to have lots of partners. Um, but we're also a, a society who very much believes in marriage still, according to um, uh, data. So w- what's your view on that?
1: I think it's really interesting and I think it's shifting. Um... I think we're going through a real revolution right now, um, much as you know we did in the 60s and 70s, where the shift there was from, if you want to be with a partner, you have to you know, be engaged to them and get married to them. No sex before marriage was, was kind of the thing in the 50s and 60s and up until the 70s. That shifted. So now there's partnership. Marriage is still an option, but you can also just be in partnership with somebody. And that's just normalized and accepted now. So that was a big shift at that time. I think the big shift that's happening now is um around the way that people are having relationships and who they're having them with. So non-monogamous relationships are becoming increasingly normalized. I think we're still in that transition phase so that um there is still some discomfort, perhaps some judgment either internalized or external about it. But we're seeing a shift towards that, which I think is really healthy. And I think it's healthy not because I believe that we should all be polyamorous, but because I believe in choice. And if the choice is marriage or partnership or non-monogamy, that's a far greater range of choice than just saying, well, if you want to have sex with someone, you have to be in a partnership with them.
0: Would you say our natural state, our natural sexual state is to have multiple partners or is it too difficult to be able to conclude one way or another?
1: I think what's important is that everybody does what feels right for them. Um, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a lovely argument which says that we're not descended from chimpanzees, for, but from another kind of ape called the bonobo, which is um, multisexual and uh, bisexual and very f- fluid and free in its sexuality, and that that is the more natural state. And there is a good argument to say that, but I think what's important is that everybody finds the, the expression of their sexuality that feels true and right for them.
0: But the last question to ask is You know, what, what do you think ought to change in the way that we view sex now in, 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 in 2017? Um, what do you think ought to change, and how can we play a part in this?
1: I think um, that what we need is more freedom of expression and more good quality information, so less government control and more um, access to visual, uh, educational, all kinds of um, information about sexuality and how to express it safely and the variety of choice that's available that isn't the kind of male-oriented pornography. Fortunately, there's a lot of female pornographers who are coming up now, female porn directors. Um, There's a lot more um, uh, websites that are expressing information about, for example, about female orgasm Um, which is really valuable so I think we're on the right path in that sense and we just need more of this kind of information and more variety of images that aren't just big tits and big cocks um, the kind of staple of male-oriented pornography